Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of On the MS Podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know, this has come up a few times this week. So On the MS means uh, we're telling the truth. MS is a, kind of a interpretation of a Hebrew word that's emet, E-M-M-E-T. And in Hebrew, basically, if you say that, if you say emet, um, because it means truth, and you say we're on the emet, uh, you're saying that I am telling the absolute truth. So um, in those situations, you know, if someone said something to you that was hard to believe, you would say on the emet, and they would have to give you the tr- the absolute truth at that point. So um, that is where that comes from. And that's why our podcast um, is, you know, because our podcast is people telling the truth. And the other cute thing about it is that Bob Meehan used to use it. And he said he learned it in the penitentiary, which we're not completely sure he was ever in the penitentiary. So we don't know where he picked it up, but it became kind of a colloquialism around, you know, the the groups um, where people, you know, if people said something again that seemed unbelievable and you would say MS. Um, they had to tell you the truth. You know, that meant that like you're putting it on the line that what you were saying was the truth. And in 2005, when the first group of survivors um, started a movement similar to what we have started, the website that they built was called On the MS. And they did that to kind of take the saying away from Bob. um, And because it means, no, we are telling the truth. You're not. So that's where the saying comes from. Um, all of its its really interesting roots and why we use it today and why it's the name of the podcast. So uh, there you go. You learn something new every day. So this episode, we have Mike Harper again, because he is quickly becoming one of my favorite people to discuss, um, you know, various aspects of enthusiastic sobriety with And this was an episode we did on Twitch. So you will hear us talking to people who are in the chat um, because this is recorded from a a live broadcast. And so you don't think that that's too, you know, that's too weird. And you, it just sounds like we're talking to (laughs) like imaginary friends, but there were actually people there. And what we talked about was Steve Hassan's um, bite model. So the BITE model stands for, uh, the B stands for behavior control, the I stands for information control, the T stands for thought control, and the E stands for emotion control. So these are all the ways that um, kind of the characteristic of cults um, and each uh, control, like each list underneath each kind of control has anywhere from 25 to 30 questions that you can ask yourself or characteristics that you can compare to whatever high control group you were in. And a lot of them apply to enthusiastic sobriety programs. And so uh, Mike and I started with the B. So we started with behavior control. We went through, I don't know, six or seven of them. And that took us an hour and a half just to get through those. Um, But I thought it would be cool for people to, you know, I know for me, when I started this process, and I started to really look at what had happened to me there, Um, it was really hard to put words on things. It was really hard to explain, you know, the kind of manipulation, um, that happened there. And, and, you know, I could like understand it in my own head and, and based on how I 
reacted to things emotionally, but it was really hard to communicate and articulate with others. And so the bite model and really thinking about it and talking about it with someone else who was there um, has been really helpful for me to understand that, um, you know, there are a lot of things that were said to me and a lot of concepts that were kind of beaten into me that are really just all about control. And um, it's helped me a lot with, you know, kind of moving on from all of that stuff and being able to, you know, back up with data that yes, enthusiastic sobriety programs are harmful and culty. So um, we plan on doing all of the letters uh, going through the entire bite model. It's just it just may take some time. So if there's anyone out there who, you know, really wants to do that and and would like to do it on Twitch live and kind of have some of those discussions, let me know um, because Mike won't be able to do all of them. And I'd be happy to have someone on with me to talk through those things. And um, if you have any other questions, um, you know, please email. uh, My email is on the mspod at gmail.com. Um, you can also text or leave a voicemail at 404-537-2392. Um, like I keep saying, the website should be up very soon and we'll have some resources on it. But in the meantime, if you go to our link tree and that's linktree forward slash on the MS pod, you can find resources there as well. Um, if you're looking for therapists or uh, books or articles or just any kind of resource to learn a little bit more about um, you know, the bite model or the, you know, what kind of support and help you can get for what you went through. So, and speaking of survivor support, um, please, if you can, um, donate a couple bucks to our Venmo. Um, it's, uh, at OTE donate. Um, all of that money goes towards a survivor's fund to help, uh, people who may need therapy and can afford it or to help people get out um, if they need it and provide them some financial support. Or you can go to Redbubble, to my Redbubble shop. It's at the Mrs. Liebler, L-E-I-B-L-E-R. It's also linked in the link tree. And purchase some um, enthusiastic sobriety survivors or uh, believe survivors um, merchandise. And any you know profit from that goes back into the podcast. And then um, you know, to the survivors fund. So that is one way if you're wondering how you can help and and how you can um, support other people who are looking for help, that is the best way to do it. And also sharing this podcast and rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. So that is all for me today. I hope that you enjoy uh, Mike and I and our conversation about behavior control And as always, stay safe out there, take your meds, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, hello. We may have like nobody here tonight, which would be fine with me. Sure, sure. We can just talk. All right. I'm going to pull up... I'm going to see if I can find the link that you sent me to the uh, chat again real quick, too. Oh, I think there. Hold on. I think I still have it. Um, No one's put anything in there, but I think I'm in the chat room. Okay, cool. Here, let's see. 
Mm-hmm. All right. There it is. Badass. Sick. <laughs> Sick. All right. Sick. So, uh, so you went to see the in-laws for the holidays. Nice. I did. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice time. We just chilled. I got to finish up a book I've been enjoying. and Nice. My my father-in-law is a, a cool guy to talk to. He's a real smart guy, real well-educated. He, he's like a big reader, and he likes history. So me and him just like chatted oh, history yeah. and religious studies and all this stuff that he knows a bunch of stuff. And we just, it was, it was fun. That's really cool. Yeah. My, um, my in-laws are like super smart, super nice people. Yeah. Um, we did not go down there because of COVID because yeah. his, his Adam's dad is 80 and oh, yeah. his stepmom is a cancer survivor. So she's immunocompromised. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, and, and both of us are immunocompromised. So like we, I mean, we haven't seen them in years because, you know, we don't want to, I mean, we went down there on Memorial day and saw them a couple of times, but you know, back, back when we had hope that the pandemic would be over because the vaccine had come out, you know, the good old days. Um, Yeah. It's been, it's crazy how long ago that's been. I know. So, um, yeah, we were bummed, but yeah, we did we did basically the same thing. Like we just hung out at home and watched movies and ate lots of food and you know good stuff like that. I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, we both start school a week from today. We do. I'm stoked. I got a I got an awesome course load. I'm looking forward to. What are you taking? I'm taking a um, philosophy class, which is like intro to human nature. I just took philosophy. That's sick. And then, awesome. uh, yeah. And then I'm going to then I have a writing class, just like whatever my general education requirement is. Right. Um, and then I'm taking biology. Um, I'm taking a statistics class, and I'm taking a kinesiology. Class. Ooh, kinesiology yeah, second, is fun. The second in the in the rung of the kinesiology sciences that I need to get done. So right. Yeah, I'm doing something kind of similar. So I'm doing um, nutrition. I'm taking a nutrition class. Nice. Just because I have to have like, you know, health sciences, whatever. And sociology. And then uh, Spanish. I'm going to learn okay. Spanish. Um, and in uh, one of my criminal justice classes, I guess I'm starting to get into my the classes for my major. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that'll be awesome. I'm going to officially be a sophomore. So exciting. That's dope. Hi, babe. Mal for the win. Mal Mal for the win. Um, Yeah, it's just us here. Okay, so let's look at, bring this over here. Okay, so we were going to talk about Steve, which this is so funny. So Steve's last name is... I wonder if you Hassan, can... right? It's Hassan. Yes. Right. H-A-S-S-A-N. And I've always pronounced it Hassan. Oh, and yeah. I've, I've heard other people say Hassan. And I was like, weird. I'm, you know, I wonder if I'm saying it wrong. And so on his website, he has an audio <laughs> of how you pronounce his name. Because like, <laughs> apparently he gets that a lot. I'm sure. So, yeah. So, uh, so I have his website pulled up and uh, the bite model. So for anyone who doesn't know, Steve Hassan is an ex-cult member who has spent like, I think, decades at this point studying cults and helping people um, 
get out of cults. He worked uh, when uh, Dave Cherry was leaving the programs and he was kind of, you know, melting down. Um, he actually contacted Steve Hassan. So they um, have a really good relationship. And um, there's actually an article or a blog post on Steve's website about enthusiastic sobriety. That's really good um, if you want to check it out. So, and his website is freedomofmind.com. But if you Google the bite model, it'll, you know, his website will pop up. So he developed the bite model uh, during his, you know, years of study and research as a um, kind of like a measurement, like, like you can look at these four areas and apply them to whatever group, program, community, whatever you're a part of. And if they tick enough of these boxes, you're probably in a cult, right? right. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we first started uh, getting into all this back in the, you know, God, it's, it's been over a year now that that the movement started and the, the Facebook group and then the nonprofit and all that stuff. Um, we were, you know, we kind of came across the bite model and we and we've been using it. You know, there's a lot of social media posts where, you know, we uh, we compared the the bite model to the program. And I think it's like because, it, you know, at first glance, especially so we'll do the behavior control section tonight because there's, you know, there's four sections and they have a lot of um, like qualities <laughs> in each section. Um and we just, there's no way we could do it all tonight. But um, at first glance, like, especially in the behavior control, like regulate physical reality, when, how, and whom the member has sex, um, regulate diet, restrict leisure. Like at first glance, I-, I would go like, oh no, you know, no one was regulating my diet. Because what I immediately think of is like, someone's bringing me food. Or someone, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like someone is actively involved in um, like my dinner, <laughs> you know? Right, and, right. But then when I stop and think about it, I'm like, well, hold on a minute. You know, like I was constantly, people were constantly talking to me about my weight and like, you know, and, and Joy especially would literally tell me what to eat. Um, and I think Renee did too. Like they would be like, you need to eat this, this and this, you know? Um, and you know, I never fucking asked for their opinion, but <laughs> I got it, you know? Yeah. No one ever said, no one cared about that. Yeah. Um, hi, Unitastic. We're very happy to have you here. Hola. Um, hola. So, so that's why I kind of wanted to talk about this because I think, you know, it's easy for people to kind of blow some of this off because it sounds very dramatic and like extreme. But when you kind of dig into it a little bit and you look at some of the stuff that happened there, you can see like, Oh no, wait, that did kind of happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I asked you to send me the link and like, I was just reading and, and you know, you said we'd probably just go over the first one. So I just like read the behavior thing and I was like, yep, yep, yep. And like maybe like three or four of these out of, how many are there on this? 25? 25. I was like, well, I don't know about that one, but that's like still like a, what? A 96% right. checked. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, and it, and that's wow. just, that's just us too. Like, yeah, exactly. Like I was not raped while I was there, but I know people who were. That's horrible. You know? Um, 
<laughs> it looks like Yena and uh, Mal are having a reunion in the chat right now, and it's awesome. <laughs> um, so really quickly, because I thought about this today, for those of you, you know, there probably are going to be people joining and in the chat who don't know what the hell we're talking about. So um, really quickly, I just want to go over how Mike and I met and what, you know, kind of what this podcast is about. So there is a national chain of um, adolescent drug treatment programs in the United States that all operate under the philosophy of a man named Bob Meehan. They've been around since the 70s. They were actually started in um, uh, Houston, Texas in the 70s. And they have grown into a monster, (laughs) basically. Um, And they have managed to stay under the radar enough. Um, They've been able to continue operating despite tons and tons and tons of negative media attention, parents, uh, former members, former staff who have lodged numerous complaints against them. Um, they, you know, they've been able to keep operating. And in 2005, there was a group of people who were actually able to make some, um, make a dent in their, you know, ridiculous armor. Um, and, and, kind of turned the tide a little bit and changed uh, public opinion about them and uh, did have an impact on their operations. And that was kind of the first time that had actually happened. Um, But it's like a lot of work, you know, being someone who's been doing this, this kind of activism for over a year now, it's, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it's scary. Um, It's, you know, to an extent (laughs) re-traumatizing because you have to like relive, you know, all of the shit you went through there. And um, so they all, you know, that that movement kind of um, dropped off because, you know, they they're human and they had to like they were just tired. And um, and it's hard to it's really damn difficult to make any kind of difference in a billion dollar industry. Right. When when the government and um, there are people profiting off of these um, these programs. It's hard to get them shut down <laughs> because people like their money. So um, in 20, at the end of 2020, uh, a group of us kind of got together and we decided to take another run at it because now we have social media and um, we have the kind of the foundation that the 2005 group of people laid for us. Um, Without them, we would not be where we are today, and we're we're actually making progress. You know, we've got um, we've gotten a, a lot of media attention. We uh, were able to get, um, you know, some of their staff members kicked off panels, and we've been, you know, we got one of their staff members removed from uh, the board of directors of a school he was on. So we've been able to really kind of make some make some waves. Um, we've got a couple documentaries in the works, so. We're we're gonna keep you know keep the heat on and keep pushing forward to the best of our ability and as much as our you know mental health will allow. So I started this podcast, um, God, I guess like about six to eight months ago now, and I've just been interviewing survivors and and talking about what happened there. Um, and so that's you know and the and the the philosophy is called enthusiastic sobriety, um, and it's basically a a, tw- a based on the twelve steps. Um, and the, the very distilled, well, not distilled, the very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, reader's digest. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that, 
But the Reader's Digest version is they tell, um, you know, they work with 13 to 25-year-olds-ish, um, and they their philosophy is essentially you have to have more fun being sober than you had you were getting high. The only problem is none of their staff has educations or credentials, and uh, to to work with adolescents, much less diagnose them as drug addicts and alcoholics. But that's what they do. They everyone who walks through the door, uh, they diagnose as a drug addict and alcoholic, and their prescription is uh, their brand of the twelve steps and sobriety, and it gets real crazy. So, um, that's that's a. Uh, a very top level um, <laughs> explanation of uh, of the programs. You know, we've got, you know, there's a uh, on the MS podcast is on Instagram and I've got a link tree up there that has links to all kinds of information if you want to dig deeper. Um, and ultimately, thank you for being here today because you're helping to raise awareness just by being here. So so that's what Mike and I are doing today. We're looking at Steve Hassan's um, bite model and applying it to the program. Um, just to kind of, you know, flesh it out a little bit and, um, and again, you know, kind of raise awareness about what happens in those places. So, so let's start with number one, shall we, Mike? Let's do it. So the first indication of behavior control, according to the bite model is, uh, regulate individuals, physical reality. Um, I think that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, in a lot of ways, right? So yeah. you have educationally, mm-hmm. you have socially, yep. you have uh, your family, you have, in a lot of ways, at the time, at least for me, and it may have changed since then, but I know it was the same for you, it's also very spiritually and religiously, mm-hmm. like, over they overtake that aspect. Like that's yeah. like maybe the main thing that they attack. Yes. Or abuse rather, right? Is like this, their, their, their corrupt principle of a higher power being God, whatever you want to call it. Right. So yeah. God, as you understand God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, physically, physical reality. I mean, I'm, I, I can't think of a single way that it didn't try in every capacity to separate you to only have you spend time doing that. I don't know if I've ever experienced that something that wanted to encapsulate your physical reality more than being involved in that program. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about physical reality, like, like I'm trying to compare. So my physical reality before I went into outpatient. So outpatient is the six to eight weeks. Sometimes, 104 week. Uh, <laughs> I really, there was somebody who was an outpatient for two fucking years. Like that's ridiculous. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, it's a, you know, it's meant to be like a, you know, a partial, uh, it's a, it's an intensive outpatient. So it's, it's not, it, basically it's not inpatient. Like you don't live there. You're not, you know, it's, it's a group therapy you go to for four hours a day at their facility. And then after that, you're supposed to be able to like, go live your life, which is what I was totally into when it was sold to me, you know, like, cool. I wanted to get back in school. Like I had 30 days sober because I was in a, I was in an inpatient before I went there. Um, and so I, you know, they sold me on like, yeah, this will be a, an outpatient. So you just go four hours a day and then, you know, you can work yeah. school, whatever. 
But that's not how it ends up. And so, you know, when I think about my physical reality before I got there, like I was living with my mom. I was, you know, 20 years old. I dropped out of college. I was, you know, living with my mom. And, um, you know, like she was, I, her, the deal she had with me was like, I had to have a job and I had to work and I had to contribute, you know, financially to the household. But I, I was living there for free, eating her food, whatever. Um, and when I got there, it was like, she, you know, you need to kick her. She can't live with you anymore because it's uh, a trigger. And, you know, um, she could, you know, she could get high there. And, you know, all, you know, all the reasons they tell parents to, you know, kick their kids out of the house, which right, I was 20. So it was legal for my mom to kick me out of the house. But they do this with like 16 year olds. You know, they tell they tell parents to to kick them out or to have them go live somewhere else or whatever. And, you know, I mean, that was that was kind of like that was my I mean, I, I my mom's house was a very safe place for me. Like, yes, did I get high there? Yeah. Like we had parties at my mom's house when she was out of town and we got high. But like it was still a very safe place for me, you know. Right. Um, and I was an adult like I it, it was up to me whether or not I was going to get high. You know, like there was nobody in my home who would have been pressuring me. Like my mom did not use drugs or alcohol. She was a very safe, solid person. Um, So it was like I got there and it was like, you're going to come here four hours a day and you're going to move into an apartment with a bunch of strangers and you're going to come to meetings twice a week. And when you're not at meetings, you should be hanging out with people who are sober from this program. Like, Mm -hmm. no. There was no like, you know, no you fraternizing can, with. The yeah. Other. Yeah. Ooh, like and 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 no, like go to AA meetings and hang out with sober people. It was all, you know, it's got to be people from our programs. Yeah. Um, and then on the weekends, you're going to be with us. Like, so it, it basically became my physical reality. Yeah. You know, and it was and yes, it was very regulated. You know, yes, I had. Because you think about, and I think this is, uh, I'm looking to see if it's in this one. It may not be in in the behavior control. It may be farther down. Um, But you're also, you know, people in your life, including your roommates, are encouraged to, like, narc on you. (laughs) Like. Oh, yeah. There's no, there's no such thing as privacy in any sense of the word. mm -mm. No. You are, you are completely and 100% stripped of. Your 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 emotional privacy, mm-hmm. your physical privacy, sexual privacy, spiritual. I mean, again, it's just like I said, it's every aspect of what you do, who yeah. you talk to, where you go. I mean, literally, I mean, I can't they 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 talk about how people can dress, they talk about mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, and this is not dramatic. It is like devote yourself one hundred percent to your sobriety under mm-hmm. these very specific set of rules mm-hmm. or we're going to f- harass the shit out of you until yeah. you do. Oh. Well, and you, you'll probably die. That's the other yeah, thing right. that yeah, like yeah. lots of manipulation to get you to believe. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. 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 Like I, behind every single one of these parameters um, is, and if you don't do like the way they're able to get you to do these things and get away with these things with adults is you're going to die. You know, you, they, you know, they, they use the jails, institutions or death, uh, model (laughs) of, you know, uh, narcotics anonymous and alcoholics anonymous, and they apply it to 15 year olds, you know, or 20, even 20 year olds. Like that's just not, that's not realistic. 
Um, so they're able to get away with all of this because they first convince you that you have a disease that is terminal. And if you don't stay within these very narrow, you know, structures, then your disease is going to take over and it will eventually kill you. Right. Right. So it's like your life is on the line. Um, you know, if you, if you, we moved, so we're, we're starting to get into the second one, which is dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates. So. Yeah. So, I mean, here's a good story. I think about this. So I had been sober for, let's call it maybe six or seven years at this point. Right. I had been on staff for four or five years at this point. I was, you know, the, the senior counselor of right. the largest younger group in, in the United States. That's what, you know, Mike Weiland would always try to post <laughs> the numbers of crossroads, right? So um, I have like all this going on. I feel like I'm doing well. Like, you know, I'm at least in the standards of uh, being able to have a girlfriend and, you know, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the good graces of everyone at this point. Right. But I remember, so like I got moved to St. Louis after being on staff for like two or three years. And when I got back to St. Louis, like that's where my family from family's from. My family's really cool. Like right. my parents have all, my parents were like super supportive and they were involved mm-hmm. in a lot of stuff. And now more so my dad than my mom, but still like my mom would come when she could, she was, she just worked more and had right. other obligations that were going on. So she couldn't make everything. Which, of course, in the eyes of the program, makes you like the worst person in the fucking world. Right. Which not a, me not, a, where. not a good parent. So, again, remember, I'm already on staff for however long. I've been sober however long. In the eyes of everyone, I'm doing really well. And so, like, I was enjoying on the weekends going and spending time with my parents, right? Like, mm-hmm. I would go on Sundays um, to go just hang out with them, maybe watch a football game or just hang out or watch some hockey with my dad or maybe we barbecue. So right. anyways, they got like, I remember like them starting to go like, you're going over there an awful lot. Like we usually kind of get together on Sundays for like the, you know, the, whatever the family time bullshit that they would talk about and like yeah. family dinners and all this and you're just yeah. like, whatever. I was yeah. like, yeah, but my family is like three miles from here and I want to go. Right. It's like once a week, dude, I spend literally every other minute. So what eventually ends up happening is after, you know, like, first off, the first I kind of agreed, like, okay, I can understand, like, maybe I need to be around a little more or something. I don't even know. Right. Like, but they somehow manipulated me into agreeing that I didn't need to be around them quite as much. Right. So, like, I kind of backed off. And then it came to a point where it was like I was kind of just like, again, kind of going and doing that. (laughs) And because I wanted to spend time with them when Mm -hmm. I could. And. Then I had this really long talk in Mike Weiland's car in front of the office while he fucking blew camel wide smoke in my face for hours. But I mean, this conversation, <laughs> this, this conversation literally lasted, I would, I would say, in his car in front of the building after a, a meeting. So it was already late. We were probably there till two in the morning, so like four hours, maybe th- three hours, something right. in this car. And the whole punchline, like nothing was brought up. He was just picking at me and digging at me and trying to find some reason for me to be fucked up. Right. And at the very end, he's just like, I think your mom's evil. Like he just came out right and said that he's like, I think your mom's evil. And I was just like, what? He's like, this is why we don't want you to go over there so much is because we think that she's, she's, she's not a winner for you basically. What? And I was just like, right. Like I had, there was no bearing. Now the only 
thing in their defense, and there is no defense to this, but this is would have been their justification. And I know you understand because we were both on staff and we've had to justify some stupid shit. Yeah. But they, you know, the the whole justification before it was was literally because my mom just wasn't as involved as my dad was. And so they were like, she's just not in, she's not going to get it. She's going to start talking you out of things like, and she kind of was, they weren't wrong with that. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but little did I know it, you know, cause at the time I was like, yeah, I guess she kind of like, isn't a hundred percent supportive, but she'd always go like, I know you enjoy it. So do it. So right. Like, I just want you to know that if you ever want to come home and go to school, or if you think like finding another job that maybe pays better would set you up better to meet a woman, like she would have those conversations with me, which are just like honest, real things that I think any mom would be concerned about. Right. Yeah. Especially when I was getting paid little, they knew how much I was making. I was making yeah. fucking dick and my parents knew it. And well, they knew, they knew you were being taken advantage of. Yeah. But so they, so he calls, I mean, there, you know, it's, he calls my mom who's been supportive and has given lots of money and time and, and her and my dad have both, you know, given their time to, to help with things, you know, and it's just like, so you're going to call her evil just so I don't spend time with them on the weekends. Like they just even, even like one day of the week or even two days out of the month, like it was too much for them for me to be with my family. Like that, it was just yeah. the audacity. That, the audacity. Honestly, that was like one of the very big first tipping points to me going like, I am getting the fuck out of here. I just have to devise a plan to get out, which I know we've talked about, but yeah, that was, like, uh, but I mean, there's many more than that. I mean, like, when I was new, I remember very specifically my best friend before I got into the group who stayed my best friend for the first while while I was in the group. He was like really excited that I was getting sober. He was like, dude, that's really awesome. He was super supportive about it. And even to the point where like at, at, the, at the beginning, like we were still driving each other to school. Now, before we might like smoke a bowl on the way to school, you know what I mean? And like get high, but he right. said, dude, I'm not going to do that. It's not even going to be in my car. I'll still come pick you up. He was just like, cool. It didn't matter to him. So he came to see me get my fist after 30 days. And so, of course, when he came for his first meeting, they pulled him into a newcomer's meeting. And then he right. pulled me afterwards. He's like, dude, I'm not coming back to this place. He's like, right. you got me. He's like, I was here to be supportive of you, but I'm not intending on spending any time here. I was like, I was totally. like, man, it's formality. But I was also, but, they, but, but so I had this person who was awesome, who had changed his behavior in our relationship right off the bat to be supportive. And here they are pulling that person out of my life. I got told that I'd, and I, I was dating a girl who had been dating for a while. And, you know, my her and my parents got along. I mean, it was like a high school relationship. So it wasn't anything right, like right. whatever. But it's but, as serious as it is for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm getting pulled out of all this stuff. And, you know, I was agreeable because, again, like you stated, I, I was convinced that I had this like damning disease yeah. that that there was no chance to get rid of. And. Also, there were a lot of promises of like, you know, at the time as a young man, you know, you don't know the world very well. So when someone who's been around for a while paints a picture and they can convince you of something that's really beautiful, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. seemingly awesome, like, yeah, you trust that man. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I think any human being at a young age like that who is incredibly like just like a blank notebook and you're still like writing so much of your life. And you don't know that much, but you feel like you do. I don't know, man. It's a weird age, right? But yeah. But you get they're they're making these really heavy promises to a person that maybe is trying to find something, mm -hmm. but I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. Um, I know. I totally know what you mean. Yeah, but again, it's it's all all of that is to say it's just like they rip you away from literally everything to get you as involved in the program yeah. as you can be. Yeah.
Yeah, that's that's a very accurate description of where people are when they end up there. Whether they're using drugs or not, that's being a teenager. Yeah. Like, that's yes. just being, you know, a, a, an adolescent. Like, yes, like, I love that analogy of, like, you're a blank, you're a blank book. Like, yeah. you're figuring out who you are. And, yeah, they come at you with this, like, you know, your life's going to be amazing. Like, yes, you have this terrible disease, but on the other side of that is peace and and sanity and, like, like this amazing, you know, and they present themselves as as, you know, like, we're, you know, like Mike and Amy especially made this yeah. big deal about their marriage and their relationship. Like it was, you know, of God and it was meant to be, and they were soulmates yeah. and, you know, all this stuff. And, and they do, they present you with all these things that you're, you're at this point in your life where you're like, is that ever going to happen for me? You know? And like, yeah. how is that yeah. going to happen? And like, even like, I, you know, I had a boyfriend too when I got there and it was like, is he the one is this, you know, like you're just in this place where everything's so untenable and they yeah. come at you with like, here's a way for you to have power over how all of those things are going to end up. Yep, exactly. And of course we were like, sign me up. Yeah. You know, and of course we were willing to like, okay, I'll let go of that one friend. If that means I get to be the person you say that I get to be. Yeah. And I mean, even for me, like I was manipulated a bit at first to be told like, you know, well, you'll get enough time sober to know if they're going to be good for you or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that was kind of the thing was like I was told to put these people kind of on pause. Yeah. And then like, you know, once they kind of get you and you're like bought in on this stuff, like going and spending time with these people does sound like a bad idea. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really did. Yeah. You, You really didn't want to um, kind of cross whatever line could lead you to messing up. Right. I mean, that's yeah. really what, that's really what they constantly scared you was, was like, you're, you're just like teetering this line of okay or fucked up. Okay. Right. And again, right. and I mean, I know we talked about this last time, but even the words fucked up, right. They would say that all the time. That's a really heavy thing to tell like a teenage person, yeah. you know, and not just a little bit, but like you hear, you hear that in a positive way, like, oh, dude, you're so fucked up, oh, man, you're, you and look how far you've come. Like, it was a, like, like this, you know, which it is cool when people that come from dark places get sober. I'm not saying that that's not. But, right, right. Um, anyways, yeah, I don't know. I could, we could talk about that portion forever. It's just. Yeah. Well, we have the rest of time, Mike. We do. We, do. we can talk about this forever. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, and that actually, that's like a really... Something that you reminded me of, um, I talked to, actually talked to a woman that was like my first friend in the group, right? Oh, wow. She only ever knew me when I was in the group. Like she didn't really know me on staff because she graduated um, right after I started working there. And we were, she was uh, one of my first roommates. So when they made me move out of my mom's house and into this apartment with like one, two, three, four, five other women. she was she was kind of like the the house mom like she had i think the most time sober and she was just a really sweet like kind caring person mm-hmm. and so she and i got really close and we stayed really close the you know the whole time i was there and i i talked to her last night and it was really fucking cool and cuz she wants to come on the podcast because she's been listening and she has some stuff that she's like i feel like i have this um kind of unique perspective on some things that happened to her after she left 
So uh, we're going to record her episode this weekend. I'm so excited. But anyway, we were talking about, you know, at the end of the conversation, I was like, we were like, God, I'm so glad we got to talk. And I was like, you know, you were my first friend uh, when I was in the group. And she was like, yeah, you were my last friend. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you know, when I graduated, everyone stopped talking to me, but you. Which that's kind of how I was like, I never understood like why we had to stop talking to people like, you know, like I was like, if they don't work here anymore, like they just got a different job. Like, why would I stop talking right. to someone who was my friend right. because they got a different job? But I would always get it would it would always become an issue. I would always yeah. get a talking to about why I'm still talking to this person and that they're, you know, not a winner for me or whatever. So she was like, yeah, you, you kept talking to me for a while after I left. And that eventually I tried to get you to go out to dinner with me. And you told me that I wasn't a winner for you. And I was just like, I was just devastated. I was like, I'm so sorry. And she was like, oh my God, you don't have to apologize. Like I get, I get it, you know? Um, but it was, I was like, I can't even imagine how, what they would have said to me. I don't remember it at all, you know, but, um, it just made me so sad. Like, like that would have been 1998. So literally like over 20 years, we have not spoken because somebody yeah. told me she was not a winner for me. Like what yeah. the fuck? Man. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that all goes directly into number two, which is dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolate. Um, which isolating was also not allowed. You were not allowed to hang out by yourself. You would oh, be, God, no. You know, you would be considered fucked up if you did that. Um, So the next one is when, how, and with whom the member has sex. Uh, Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Yeah, what are the three rules, man? Yeah, yeah. No fixing, no fighting, and no fucking. The three Fs, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, like right off the bat. like I mean, they would say you can't fuck here, right? Right, right. They didn't want you having sex at like whatever church we were at or like McDonald's, I'm sure. Right. But uh, it was way beyond that. That was like the pretty version you told the parents, right? It's like, oh, we just don't want right. anybody. But then it turns into you having to be ready to date in a very 1940s fashion style of dating, which I mean, look, some of the some of the chivalry to it's commendable, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Which I mean, look, there's some merit to like, you know, bringing somebody some flowers and you know what I mean? I mean, there's like some of the things are cute and fun and like you get. There's an, I think that's like the initial appeal yeah. to like to, to, to thinking about a relationship. Like, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but yeah. it, when it becomes like a, a hardened rule where like, what do you mean you didn't get flowers and come up with a creative way to ask this person on a date? So there was like this extravagancy that you had to go through just to like woo a woman, which is like, again, on paper, that looks really nice, but like right. an application when you know, maybe, I mean, there's a lot of people that fall in love naturally, right? Mm-hmm. That just through conversation that don't have to go through the whole rigmarole when it becomes so controlled in in the exact steps in which you can even like hold someone's hand, mm-hmm. give them a little smoochy smooch, you know? <laughs> and then like, you know, it's it's all of it, man. Again, it's just like another piece of your life that is just completely bombarded and taken over and Again, they paint a picture of a very pretty world mm-hmm. that is like this idealistic thing. But again, the reason they do that is so that they have something that if you skew from the path or have mm-hmm. your own ideology with something, they have 
like, well, this is the way and we're going to jam it up your ass till you do it or we're going to harass you until you do. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, and I can say for um, from a women's perspective, too, uh, it felt very safe. And and for sure, like before I got there, I didn't date like that, you know, like the world of relationships didn't feel safe, Um, you know, because I was hanging out at fucking clubs in downtown Atlanta and, you know, uh, drunk all of the time everywhere and meeting guys when I was drunk and making out with them and, you know, and and kind of always searching for like, because, you know, like I you kind of grow up, especially in our society, in this world of like, you know, serendipity, like one day you're going to meet this guy in a dry cleaners and it's going to, you know, you're going to have a meet cute and you're going to spill your coffee on him. And it turns out he's your soulmate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, I was always search. I was always trying to like put myself in situations where like, I might meet my soulmate in this like cute, funky way, but it always ended with, you know, I woke up with some dude throwing up on me, like <laughs> never, yeah. it never really worked that way. And, um, so, so yeah, so I think for women, especially in those situations, it feels really safe and it feels like, um, like the amount of like control and like his sponsor and my sponsor are talking like that kind of stuff does as fucking weird as it is, like, at least for me, I don't know. I don't want to speak for all women in the program, but um, for me, it felt very like I'm, I'm protected and I don't have to worry about like this dude raping me or beating me like that will not happen here. Right. And, and for, so for women, that's very attractive, you know, to be in a situation where like, you know, for the most part, you, there's an illusion of safety because, um, you know, my first boyfriend and the group we talked about that the last time, the one that went and looked at my outpatient files, like that was not safe, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that was a violation. Um, but, but, but that illusion is enough to like kind of keep you around, you know? Right. Um, right. I think that, you know, for sure. I mean, they, they get into, you know, when you should have sex, like both at, what point in the relationship when, and also what day of the week, really? Yes. How like, long you're sober or, right. or like basically, and what I mean by that, right. Is, and again, this is, I know you attest to this. It's not even necessarily length of sobriety. It's more like how into the way of doing things that they do. Are you, that's really right. more the indicator, right? It's right. like, if you are very, very, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Very like, I, I guess, just into the whole thing. You know, you get permissions mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to yeah. do the next. It's like it's like it's kind of like Scientology in that way. Right. Where it's like you're ready for the next level. Yeah. You're leveling yes. up your thing and then you, you you level up and you get to experience this thing that like they kind of hold over your head. And then yeah. you're like you keep performing for them and then like they allow you this next little level of. You know, so it's like, okay, now you're allowed to hold her hand and now yeah. we're going to, now you're allowed to give her a little kissy kiss. And then, well, the other thing too, that like is also true is like everyone knew when I was going to have sex with my girlfriend for the first yes. time. Like everybody yes. knew. Yes. Yes. Like it was a thing. And it was yeah. because everyone wanted to be in on planning it. 
Yeah. So like I had like people that were like, well, we'll get her out of the house and, you know, you bring the stuff over and like, look, I don't mind the romance and the flowers and the candles again, like all that stuff is beautiful to some women. And of course you Mm -hmm. should treat them that way. Right. Like I understand that. Right. But like to have everyone in on it, like everyone like sprinkling the flowers on the bed and the, you know, like, like everyone knew. So it was like, I showed up the next day and, you know, as a dude, that's one thing, I guess, like, Oh, I got laid or whatever. Right. But like, I'm not necessarily like that where I need everyone to know that I just yeah, got laid. So it was just a very, it was a very in, intrusive in that yeah. sense. Yeah. And it is uh, very intrusive. And then the other side, and I, 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 not to just ramble on this, but so I got moved as a, a younger staff member to Kansas city to help start that program. Right? right. So it was me, Geffen and Robin out there. Right. And, and, uh, there was no other staff, right? Well, when I was in Tucson, I would get to go up and like, you know, there was like a couple female staff members that like were at least like that like boundary line flirty or whatever. And yeah. like people that you would be into. So, but when I moved to Kansas city, that was like gone. Right. And so I was like, I was a young man, dude. I was right. 20 years old, maybe, or 21. And so I'm like, I started going to AA meetings and I started to fall for this girl at an AA meeting. We were hanging out because I didn't have anything else to do. Right, and right. Very, very shortly after I started talking to Mike Wyland about, well, I met this girl. I really want to, you know, see see where it goes. What's the cool way to do this? It very much turned into, oh, hey, Mike, we need you in St. Louis, and I got moved away from Kansas City, all because of me being interested in and the and the justification for them doing that was that because Kansas City was so new, they didn't need a junior counselor at the time, right? So right. They, they justified moving me under the guise of the junior counselor thing. But like looking back on it, it's hard for me to like, like if I had a friend that told me like, Oh, I'm falling for this person. We're having a lot of fun. Like I would support them and want them to be around that. But like right. I immediately get pulled away. Yeah. For some bullshit. Yeah. That always like fucked with me. You know, they never really said anything directly about it. I mean, maybe there was a couple little mentions, but it was definitely a, a way for me to get away from possibly dating somebody that wasn't involved with the program directly. But she had like, four or five years sober. And so did I at the time, you know, like, right, right. Yeah. Anyway, but just, well, yeah, thing it, they- yeah. It, well, what it would have been attributed to was some like nebulous, uh, ambiguous, like we're worried about you kind yeah. of thing. Like you're, you know, they would have a, suddenly have opinions about this girl and you know, that that's, that's what that would have become. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I mean, talk about, having nothing going on. I was, you know, almost, thir- I was in my thirties and had, you know, 10, nine, 10 years sober. And all the guys on staff were like 21, you know, with five years sober. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally different stages of life. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was like, where am I supposed to meet guys? I was always working and I was always with the staff yeah. and it, I, I was, and, and it was constantly put on me like, well, it's because you're not inviting it. If you were fighting it. Yeah. Like if you were, if you were open and if you were ready and you know, then you would just meet somebody and it's like, but where? Yeah. Like I have to go, I have to go places to meet people. And then I met this guy in AA who was, he was awesome and he was into me and I was into him and he had relapsed. And so we only had like 90 days sober, but he was like 42. So it's not like, he was 18 with 90 days sober. He'd been around, you know, yeah. and he invited me to come hang out with him at a roundup. And I was I was excited about it. And I got, you know, sat down and, you know, talked to about how roundups were just fuck fests. And 
he just wanted to have sex with me and I was going to get myself in trouble. And it's like, first of all, I don't care if he just wants to have sex with me. Like I'm down for that. (laughs) It's, it's been, it's been five (laughs) years since I had sex. So I'm, I'm cool with that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it was once again, like I'm, you know, I'm too fucked up to date anybody and I'm never going to find a man. And it's my fault because I'm spiritually bankrupt, you know, like Jesus Christ. Um, So, yeah, it's it's just it's insane how and, and how much worse that gets when you're on staff, too. Like, I don't think oh, people yeah. if you haven't been on staff, you don't understand the amount of like control and manipulation that happens in uh, your life. Horrible. Like, no, it's, it's the wor- it's it's literally the, the worst thing I've experienced in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Absolutely. There, there's nothing there's nothing that has caused me more pain in my life than my experiences being a staff member for. An enthusiastic sobriety program. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Totally agreed. Um, And, you know, that maybe, you know, I I say that. And after you hear about so many other people, like, look, I understand. And I think sometimes this is how they kind of skate by, right? Is like, it is bad, but like compared to what? And then you like, you know, I I just kind of think they're like, a lot of people go, yeah, but they're still hoping people get sober. And I'm just like, no, dude, it's not that easy to just kind of wipe this idea of how harmful this program is away. I don't think that's fair to the people that have experienced it to just go like, well, but they're getting people sober. No, they're not. No, they're They're not. Yeah. Well, we're like on the third item of 25 and we already have like 75 stories a piece about this shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's like, this is not, this is a, this is a, a learned man who spent a lot of time researching this stuff putting a list out of what makes a cult a cult and do we're four items in and I right. mean, we're already, I'm already convinced of it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. You just reminded me of something I was going to say. What was it? Oh, that, that used to hold me back too. Like, because they have this whole, like, if we are not helping kids, who is? Yeah, and yeah. so I, because they're the best, you know, and, and, and I had that too, like, well, they're still helping people. And if they shut down, like where are kids going to go? And, and I mean, that, that is an issue. I mean, there, there's plenty of, you know, I've got, um, four or five people who've now reached out to me from this, this school called the Hyde school in Bath, Maine, um, that was horrific, horrific that are going to be coming on the podcast because they're like, we're ready to speak up. So it's not like, you know, these programs are the worst. We can't say like, well, there's nowhere else for them to go. So let's have them continue to get harmed. And these places, yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's those can be separate issues. You know, it's like an abuse that's like almost acceptable in our society. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, and I hate again to bring it back to this, but like the abuse caused on a lot of people is the same way that a religion kind of encapsulates your life, right? Like with the same kind of guilt and the same kind of shame and the same kind of stuff. And like maybe it's because people are just used to it from being involved in that for so long that they're used to that. You know, I, I don't know why more people don't go, you know, this is unhealthy, but like that, that certainly seems like it's it, right. It's like, but it's not an excuse. Exactly what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. not an excuse. It's, it, there are other people that have maybe gone through wackier and wilder shit. And sometimes explaining enthusiastic sobriety to people is kind of difficult. Yeah. And it's like very individual, but like everyone has very similar experiences. And uh, so it's not like, again, it, it's like, I, I just want to make sure that anyone who maybe disbelieves is going like, I'm just thinking of how I thought when I was like involved and people were talking shit and I wanted to like 
defend. I'm defend, like, yeah. I, I've, I've thought about that all since I've left. And like, there is nothing left to defend. Mm-mm. There is well, there really, is really nothing left to defend about that place. Well, and this may help. This is one of the realizations I came to. People who are supposedly doing well and staying sober were not addicts and alcoholics to begin with, period. And the, the people who were there who truly have addiction or mental health issues are not getting help. And they are harming themselves. The suicide rates coming out of that place are astronomical. Um, the uh, mass complaint form that the nonprofit created uh, when I was involved with that, you know, I, I think it was something like 8% of respondents knew 20 or more people who had committed suicide from that program. Now, 8% is not a high number, but 20 or more people is a high fucking number. Yeah, it is. You know, like for there to even be 1% of the people saying that they knew that many people who had who had committed suicide is insane. So, so defenders, like, I'm sorry, I get it. I get why you want to defend it so badly. I defended it for so long myself, but they're, they're not helping anyone. Yeah. And, and, in, and in fact, they are harming and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. So, yeah. I, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, I know that you've shared this with me, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you, when, when you heard first, like when I used the word abuse in that post yeah. and you're yeah. like, Oh my God, it was abuse. It's like, yeah. It's like, stop and think about what we're saying with abuse, right? Like, I'm not saying that they beat me or, you know, any of that, but like, I'm, I'm sharing and we're both sharing an amount of like, you know, manip- manipulative abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, Yeah, you know, and some people did have physical and sexual abuse, but I mean, yes. like, we're not, this is not a light, it like, I, it, like, it's, it's, it's easy for me to say now because like a lot of it, I just personally don't give a fuck anymore. I want them to go away. I think yeah. just as bad as anyone that does, but like I've just kind of become so okay with my own life that I don't give a fuck about them anymore. Right. Um, but that took a long time because of all the shame and all the fucking shit. Right. And yeah, I, I just think it's, it's, it's abuse, man. That's, yeah. that's that pretty much that simple. And yeah. uh, so don't, don't deny it anymore. Get the fuck yeah. out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Please. It, we, I know it's hard, but please. Um, the next one is control types of clothing and hairstyles, which is hilarious. But yes, absolutely. And it's never out. It's never blatant control. Like for it will with the with the women, it's a little bit more intense because we can't be slutty, but yeah. we also can't be too frumpy. Like, like I, I, you know, there were definitely when I first got there, I was got to look back at pictures of me when I first got there. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Like I squandered away the best body I've ever had. Like it makes me so mad because I was so hot and I would wear, and it was like the summer, you know, and I would wear these like halter tops with like these big overalls that had just holes all over them. So you could see like, I mean, you could see straight down my overalls if you wanted to, but I was 20 years old. Like that's, and it was the nineties. Like that was like how we dressed. And, um, and I had all these like cute dresses that were tight, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and I, you know, was talked out of wearing all of it. It was like, you can't, you know, you can't dress like that around men with the implication being like, cause then you can't complain if anything bad happens, right? Like if anything, if if you're raped or you're sexually assaulted, it's your fault because you dress that way. Um, 
And that, you know, sober women didn't, didn't dress like that and didn't carry themselves that way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, pool parties or going to the lake. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a picture of me from a lake day uh, at Lake Lanier when I was like pretty early on an outpatient. And I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. Like <laughs> it's the middle of the summer and I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. And I remember the, some of the girls wore bikinis. And they all got like talked to about it. Oh yeah, you get ripped off in the bikini. You yeah. cannot wear a bikini in front of a bunch of, you know. And, and it was it was always like you you can't do that to the guys. Like they can't help themselves. Yeah. You know that that I whole way of about thinking. Some of that stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. I get. Um, I remember just getting talked about. Um, like you just dress like a stoner. You dress mm. like you want to be in a band. You dress like you know. They would always make these comparisons for me. I do want to like, be in a band. Uh, yeah, I was like, well, yeah, I've been I've played bass for how long at this point? Yeah. Eight, 10 years or whatever. Anyways, um, yeah, but they, you know, so I got those talks where it was like, I used to wear like hemp necklaces again. We're talking late 90s for me, early 2000s. I wore right. hemp necklaces and sometimes a hemp bracelet and all band t-shirts and all fucking big ripped jeans and all mm-hmm. that shit. And like, it wasn't very shortly after that I was like, I wear, I'm, you know. I don't wear much in the way of design anyways, but it was all like just black t-shirts. And then it became like all that I had was like jeans and program shirts. Yeah. Yeah. That was like my entire wardrobe. And that's a lot, honestly, most of staff's wardrobe too, except for like your fucking gratitude meeting clothes. Right. Or right. The fuck <laughs> yeah. Parent, parent appointment clothes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Or, or, um, community appointment clothes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, right. So you had like two nice shirts and that was it, but everything yeah. else. Was yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, I went shirts. through, I mean, when I was on steering committee and the group, I remember we had a purpose where the senior counselor, Roy Silva, bless him. He's so great. Um, but he had this conversation with all of us because we all wore like jeans and like flannels because it was the 90s. Yeah. Uh, we were grunge. Hello. Okay. And and none of us wore makeup like we were all I mean, we were all just like like kind of how I am now. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I don't I very rarely wear makeup and I mostly wear like yoga pants and baggy shirts like that's my life. And but he was like, you know. I'm so sick and tired of looking at y'all, you know, with no makeup and you're not attractive at all. And you wonder why you don't have boyfriends and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like you need to start. And and it's, and then it's all couched in. You're not respecting yourselves. You're not first yeah. classing yourselves. You're, you're, you know, it's not self love. It's out, it's out of self hate. And which then is always tied back to your disease, which then is tied back to it's going you're to lead die. to your death. Like you're going to die. You wearing flannels and combat boots is eventually going to end up killing you. Yeah, because there was once somebody who got high that wore those things and you're Mm -hmm. not allowed to participate in anything that that someone once did when they were high or something. Right. Right. Well, and 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 some, you know, dude complained to Roy that, you know, he didn't think any of the girls in the group were fuckable enough. So Roy decided to have a talk with us. I mean, guaranteed. That's, (laughs) That's, That's also possible. Yeah, for sure, because the male gaze was was everything, everything. Um, So so, yeah, I mean, it was from so from that to like then I, you know, when I was on staff and Andy was the director, then I I dressed too flashy. Like, I, you know, if I he would always he would always say, you know, he'd be like, oh, you look like a hooker. He always called me a hooker, a prostitute, because I had a, you know, a suede coat that had tassels on it. And I. 
I, I, I will never forget when I was working in Augusta, I was in an appointment with this kid in the group and Andy came down to visit and he walked into my office in the middle of this appointment with this kid. And I was wearing a striped shirt. Like it was like yellow, pink, blue, like bright colors, really thin stripes. One of my favorite shirts ever. I got it at like Express. It was like, you know, it was trendy. Yeah. And and he walked in and the kid looked up at him and he went, oh, are you here to fire Jacqueline? Because of the way he just busted in the room. And Andy went, well, I mean, I might fire her for wearing that shirt and then turned around and walked out. And I was like, "Okay," like. Instantly dehumanized in front of a client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it was just awful. So, yes, my and and I'm you know, I I stayed like that. Like I I didn't give up my uh, my sense of style. Like I loved wearing weird, you know, shit like I just I loved it. And I never stopped doing that. Thank God. Um, yeah. But I was constantly getting shit for it, you know, and I just wanted attention and I just whatever, like. It's like, or this is what I like to dress like. Yeah, that's yeah. used to bother me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, I like this band, man. What do you mean? I can't wear this fucking black Sabbath shirt. What do you mean? I can't right, wear this tool shirt. Right, what, do you, what do you mean? Right. Yeah. yeah like, it's a shirt. I remember, like, I had, like, a box full of shit. Yeah. I had a box full of, like, T-shirts and. Even some like music that I wasn't allowed to listen to. Like, I think I got rid of like all my Cypress Hill albums. Oh, yeah. I got rid of all of my. Um, oh, my God. Cypress Hill. I saw them in concert multiple times. I just saw them. In, Did you? Uh, August. Yeah, in August. It was amazing. Oh my God. I love- opened up for them. And yeah, it was great. I um, love Cypress Hill so much. Oh, yeah, dude. And no, that, people made too. so much fun of me for it. Yeah, they can they can fuck off, man. They Cypress- can fuck off. Uh, yeah, dude. No, but, but yeah, well, and a bunch of other stuff, you know what I mean? But like, and we had like this big burn. It was like me letting go of my past. Oh God. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was, yeah, I, I, I kind of forgot about that, but I definitely, and you know, I also had some risque VHS tapes at the time that they wanted me to get rid of. So it was like a, <laughs> a, a fucking a box full of just shit that like, you know, I don't know, somehow tied into me being sober. A tool shirt right. really means... You're letting go of the old you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Deep to reach, stuff, yeah. to become that person you want to be. Yeah. Um, regulate diet, food and drink, hunger and or fasting. I mean, again, that one was never like a blatant thing. But, uh, you know, I definitely was constantly being talked to about my eating habits. And, be- and it was always tied to my weight and my looks and, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. That, that uh, I, at one point of me being on staff, I realized that the junior counselors kept setting up house parties. And I remember asking one time, I was like, why are we just doing house parties? Like, let's do something creative for a function night. And they were just like, oh man, but all the good food. Yeah. And I, because like, you know, if I was where I was at, which was a senior counselor running, having a lot of responsibilities and working 80 hours a week or whatever it was, uh, I was getting paid dick. Those kids could not have been paying, getting paid yeah. that much. You yeah. know what I mean? Not that I was getting paid anything at all anyways, but yeah. Um, yeah. So they were, they were literally throwing house parties to eat good food because yeah. the parents really would take care of it. You know, it's yeah. like, and I would eat better. Honestly, I, other yeah. than that, I survived off fucking Tostino's pizzas and ramen yeah. cups or the cup of noodles and fucking canned chili and spaghetti. Like I, I didn't have any kind of flair to my diet or anything really healthy or substantial. Mm-mm. in a lot of ways like i wasn't able to afford good meat most of the time occasionally i'd get like a pound of ground beef to like make some spaghetti sauce or something mm-hmm. you know but like 
that was even rare. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, if I think about how it affected my lifestyle and those kind of ways it did, but I don't know that outside of the financial burden of just not getting paid anything that they really said much of this stuff in the way, but yeah. it did end up affecting the way that I ate and yes. participated yes. in food. And yes, like now, like I love going out and eating all kinds of different foods. Cause like we have money to do it. Right. I'm yeah. not a fucking broke. And yeah. it's okay for me to go to a place that serves alcohol so I can try. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, well, and you know what, that's an interesting one. Because that was the other thing was like, you couldn't eat anything that had been cooked in alcohol. Yeah, no fish and chips, like beer battered fish and chips. Yep, or- yep. Because mm-hmm. like, it could set off your cravings. Yeah. Like, Dude, could, oh, so you couldn't even have a kombucha. Like, that would mm-hmm. be some bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I remember it's so funny because my husband and I are strung out on Marie Callender's like frozen dinners right now because yeah, yeah. we just have been... Well, physically, we're not doing great because we're, you know, coming off of my sprained ankle and his torn meniscus. And um, yeah. and we just don't we just haven't had the energy to, like, cook, you know. Yeah. So we were like, let's just order a bunch of, like, semi-healthy, you know, frozen meals. And so Marie Callender's turned out to be, like, the ones that we like the most. And I remembered I had this memory of um, no one would eat Marie Callender's frozen meals because a lot of them were cooked in alcohol. So like, oh, really? it became this thing. Like if, if, you know, someone had Marie calendars in their freezer, you had to like have their back. Not even kidding. It's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that definitely, you know, they, it, they, they regulate it very passively and it's a manipulation. And then also because you have no money, so right. your options are limited. Um, Manipulation and deprivation of sleep. Uh, yes, I cannot tell you how many times I was told no one ever died from a lack of sleep. Yeah, because they would um, they would encourage us to stay up all night, um, you know, reaching out to the newcomer or like partying with people to help keep them sober and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I am not someone who can do who does well without sleep. Like, I'm just not like I, I like a full night's sleep for me is nine or 10 hours. Like, that's the only way I wake up not feeling like I want to die. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, you. <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm a sleeper. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I was just miserable if I didn't sleep. And, and then it was like, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you in such a bad mood? Like, it's got to be spiritual because, you know, so and so has been up for the same amount of time as you and they're fine, you know, Um it's just ignore biology yeah. altogether, you know? Yeah, and it's not like, um, you know, you didn't see real heavy talks happen during daytime because they certainly did. But I feel like most of the stuff that I would see with either other staff members or for myself personally, getting kind of like ripped off for being a certain way was always really late at night. Yeah, Whether it was a purpose meeting, they would wait for you to have worked an entire week and then it's here comes Friday night. And now Mm -hmm. you barely got a chance to take a break. And most of us didn't take a break. We would basically get out of our last appointment and go straight into purpose. Yeah. And then you're, so you just worked a full, probably 55 or 60 hour week already. Yeah. And now you have to go into this purpose right after work with no break to go eat dinner or you're cramming like fucking McDonald's down your face. Right. Right. Then you're just getting, but, but then you get ripped off at that point. So I, I guess my point is, is like they definitely waited until like the late hours. Anytime I wanted to leave the program or like quit, I was up till four in the fucking morning getting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
why I was going to die if I did that. You're Anytime much more malleable. Like, like I just shared, like with my mom being quote unquote evil in the eyes of Mike Weiland, I was in that fucking car till two in the morning doing that shit. Like it was just all of these, yeah. you know, let me keep you up late and manipulate you. Or like you were talking about how like, especially in the group, like, you know, it really was like, it, it, it felt like to go to sleep meant that you were like spending time by yourself. <laughs> so you need yeah. to wake up and yeah. go party with people and make it like the whatever experience. I don't know, man. Again, just uh, very little sleep in the group. Definitely there's there's specific things that happen at Round Robins where you stay up all night with everyone involved in the group. Mm-hmm. And um, people talk about, you know, probably mostly dramatized got experiences all night and um you know then you're you're not allowed to go anywhere and you're locked in a gigantic church most of the time till two in the morning or till the next morning so all, yeah. all night event to celebrate new year's yeah yes god that just happened for people i'm thinking about that right now mm-hmm. people just experienced a round yeah. robin i did an instagram series on round robins um around uh like last week before new year's eve and so for people here who aren't familiar with some of this terminology Purpose was an unpaid staff meeting that we had to go to twice a month. It was like every other Friday, right? Yeah, it was every other. I mean, I think at one point it was either every two weeks and sometimes it turned into every three weeks. So it was either every two or every three weeks. Yeah. And they call it purpose because the point of this unpaid staff meeting was for the staff to get together and talk about what's going on with them personally to make sure that as a group, of employees, we were all still in a place personally where we were serving our primary purpose, which I don't know what it was. Do you know what it was? What was our primary purpose? <laughs> like, what did we say it was? Uh, our, I don't like, have any idea. I can't. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's the big book. It's the big book reading with the primary purpose. Stuff yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I can't. Our primary purpose is to love and love others and love others or some shit. Yeah, right, it was, it was, right. But yeah, the primary was just, purpose yeah. was that the directors needed money. I mean, that's really I'm what it came down up. to. Yeah, look it up. Um, so that's what purpose was. So per- and, and it ended up being like there was always somebody who was like in the hot seat who was like, you know, fucked up and not doing well. And, you know, a group of people had gotten together and decided they needed to be confronted. And so they would be. And it was just always, you know, and, and you ended up being there till two in the fucking morning. and. Like Mike said, like you're exhausted and therefore you're more malleable and, you know, uh, open to people saying a bunch of stuff to you that was mean and heartless. OK, so did you find are it? You ready to, are you ready to puke in your mouth a little bit? Oh, God. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, It's a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Got it. Got it. Remember that? That, that yeah. I used to say that fucking every night of my life. I yep. yeah. We we had it memorized. Yeah, um now. Yeah, now it's just real gross. Yeah, now I read <laughs> it and I go. <sighs> yeah, and round robins are um they do one in the summer and one on New Year's Eve and they're these all night events. So they start at seven at night and they end at seven in the morning. Um where they keep a you know all the parents come and all of the clients come and all the staff is there and you basically stay up all night, you know, partying, but really you're just in a bunch of weird meetings 
like yeah, all like night. Meeting, dance, meeting, God meeting, Eat. dance. Yeah, Eat. and and you get good food because the parents provide all the yeah, food. Yeah, the parents provide food. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. So, so the staff could f- get get nutrition. Yeah, for like one night a year, and yeah. uh, and and the the kind of the penultimate meeting is the well for a long time it was a no consequences meeting. Where, oh yeah, remember? Brand new. Yeah, yeah. And so when you were like absolutely out of your mind, you probably hadn't slept for twenty four hours. They sit everybody in a room together, and the staff walk hundreds around with microphones. People. Yeah, hundreds hundreds. hundreds, hundreds. And the staff walk around with microphones, and you're supposed to tell like your deepest, darkest secrets because it's a no consequences meeting. So there will be no consequences for whatever it is you say, which is so fucked up because it's like. Who are you to dole out consequences or not? Like if somebody like if somebody admitted to raping someone, there need to be consequences for that. Yeah. But but the whole that was the point of the meeting was like they they wanted people to unload because supposedly that's how, you know, you can't stay sober if you're not being 100 percent honest about every single thing you've ever done. And so they would get people and like so people would make stuff up like it was insanity. So I stopped doing no consequences meeting. And then it became a God meeting where basically the same fucking thing happened. Yeah. But I guess like people couldn't be like, wait, you said no consequences anymore (laughs) because they wouldn't call it that anymore. But yeah, so it was and it was it was I mean, like, you know, like Mike said, like we were already working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And now we're expected to show up for this all night event and they would have the staff show up at noon to set everything up. Oh, yeah, that's an all day thing. And then we would be we would be expected to stay awake all fucking night and into the next day. I mean, it's it's insanity and it absolutely puts people in a place where they are more susceptible to suggestion and coercion and oh yeah, all kinds of shit. So that's what well, round robins like, are. <clears throat> I don't even necessarily remember what people would cop to, but I remember like some of this going like, dude. You just shared this in front of like 400 people in this room. Like that's like some very private because I've also in my understanding of like the whole cult pathology stuff is just like the whole idea of, you know, like no sense of yourself and like everyone knows everything about you. And yeah, like that's I mean, those were like prime examples to force people into that. And also in on the other like side of that coin is like this really powerful feeling that kind of goes over the room when someone is like willing to share that stuff, which is actually like a real thing. It's like going to a concert that, Mm -hmm. and everyone's favorite song comes on. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of has that collective feeling. It's kind of like that, but in this really kind of heavy way, right. Where this kind of collective thing happens because you really think you're seeing people like, and they define this as like, you're finding God or you're, mm-hmm. or you're, or you're getting your first step. Right. Which is again yeah. the ultimate thing that you're basically manipulated into believing your problem. Right. Yeah. So, but these are opportunities and these God meetings were like the main opportunity to really have people experience what it was like for people to be turned. Yeah. You know what I mean? In like yeah. a mass sense. Yeah. And made to be like this really special. And really, if you think about it, it was like a ceremony or like a or a or um, what do you call them? Like a church, like a service. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like a traditional. 
I don't even what what, what would you call it? What like what would be the culty term of that? <laughs> um, ritual almost. Yeah, right? like a ritual. Yeah. yeah, it is very ritualistic. That's very true. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, yeah, and yeah, you, and you it 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 it's and it's trauma bonding, right? Totally it engenders that feeling of like we're all in this together. We have all had these similar experiences. I love you. Like, like all of that stuff, it all hits this like crescendo at <laughs> midnight, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and they do this whole moment of silence for those who are still suffering at midnight. And oh God, right. remember that? Like we would get in a big circle and put our I arms do. around each other from 1159 to 1201 and be silent yeah. through, yeah. Um, through, you know, midnight and and then Time and then they play soul shine and then everyone would cry and hug each other for <laughs> yes, 45 yes. minutes. So much crying. So much crying. Yeah. Soul shine or free bird or one of those songs would start playing. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a little Tracy Chapman would get put on and then somebody get on the microphone. Uh, happy New Year, everyone. And then everybody would be like, oh, I've never been so happy before. I'm 16. <laughs> I've never felt this way. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, so God. I'm so alive. Thank you for filling the part of my life that was gone. Which I, you know, it, it, I can't say that I didn't feel like that was true. Oh for me. yeah, absolutely. Like I finally, like there was a part of me that was like, I finally found my purpose to yeah, and my people and help people get yeah. sober. Because again, it's like I, I never ever want anyone to think that like sobriety is bad or right. that like right. the idea of like betting your bettering yourself is bad. Like all the all the things that are like on the surface are like probably good ideas. Right. But like the ways in which they go about to convince you of these things and manipulate you with them is the problem. Right. It's, yeah. it's more about what they do with the information than maybe the information itself in some senses. Yeah. Well, and, and this is not recovery. No, it's not. like I want to be clear. We are not saying people should not participate in recovery from drugs and alcohol or even not participate in AA or 12 step programs. I personally don't believe that that's the best way for people to get sober. Um, but for some people it is what works for them. Um, so yeah, by no means are we saying that recovery is the problem or sobriety is the problem, but this is not this program. What they're doing is not recovery. No, it is child abuse. It is coercion is manipulation it is not recovery. it's cult behavior right mm-hmm. we're yeah. only five items deep and we've already been going you know what i mean and there's 25 on this list it's, yeah yeah and and i was gonna say you think about a lot of stuff too you know which i know is interesting, but i'm yeah but i'm kind of reflecting on a lot of these things that i haven't thought about <clears throat> in a long time because yeah. i mean i'm like a very emotional dude i've always been that mm-hmm. way like i've like i cried at fucking the end of armageddon when old fucking bruce willis took one for for, for yeah. the team for, for, the, for the for the planet yeah yeah dude like i cried i'm not i'm not embarrassed to share that you know what i mean like and i you know i'm, I'm a kind of a big softy and you know when you are that kind of person those kind of things in um like a round robin when they really get to like some kind of heavier vibe stuff i mean it sells you right i mean it kind of you 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 buy into it you're so emotionally open to kind of feel these exaggerated moments that you really believe them and you believe that they're good. And you, at the time you don't see what the setup for all of that is. That setup is really all to just like, again, it's like all of the things that I got honest about all of the things that I ever like needed to work on. It was never about getting healthy. It Mm -hmm. was about, it was about 
them having that information on me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. look, you know, people would, you know, to tell someone to like, let go, let God is not a bad <clears throat> thing to say to someone. Right. Right. But when you mean, when you say that to someone and then follow that definition up with, I am God or the group that you're in is God. And then followed that up by like people basically claiming to be like spiritually powerful people. I mean, it's, it's just a very, yeah, it's a very messy, like it, it just turns from like that. Cause that's the thing that's always bothered me is like a lot of the one liners that you hear in the group, a lot of people outside the group use them, but when they use them, it's not like this bad thing. You're like, Oh, that person actually said like one day at a time in a healthy way. Right. Or this person said, you know, let go of that guy or whatever. I don't know. I can't think of all the fucking stupid sayings anymore, but like you hear people use it in a way where you're like, Oh, that's what that's supposed to mean. Well, they right. use that on me in such a, a, a manipulative way. Yeah. That it wasn't about the actual message. It was, it was, it's, it was never about, in my opinion, especially being on staff, it was never about helping someone get healthy. It was about having shit on people. Yeah. It's, it's all very toxic. They're, yeah. they're using things that can be very helpful and making them very toxic. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think on that note, I think we've gotten through one through five. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this, because I knew that you and I would both be, like, having really good examples of each of these yeah. and why, you know, and, like, why, like, I know it sounds a little crazy, but, yes, they did control clothing and hairstyles mm -hmm. it may not have been outward it may not be in the way that you've seen on tv or heard about in other cults but it's it's happening yeah it's definitely happening well, um, i mean we've even talked about some of these down the list just in our stories you know like um financial exploitation manipulation and dependence we touched on how little we got paid when talking about food yeah. and how much like money was attached to how how spiritually healthy you were yeah. So they told, you know, but that was like a really that was just so they could get you off their back because you weren't getting paid enough. Right. <laughs> um, leisure, entertainment, vacation time restriction. I mean, mm -hmm. separation spent, of families spent with group indoctrinate indoctrination and rituals. I mean, that we just that's the round robin. Yep. And every, yep. honestly, every part of your life, right? Like in every day for the most part. Yep. And still dependency and obedience. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, permission required for major major decisions. That's like yep. the top of their list is you can't make your own fucking decisions about what you should buy at the goddamn grocery store, let yeah. alone a life changing decision like like dating someone or buying going a back to school, going yeah. back to school. Yeah, yeah. Discourage individualism, encourage groupthink. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Again, like the major yeah. staple of how they operate. Yeah. Rigid rules and regulations. Again, not like on paper, but if you're there long enough, you know that that's true. Yeah. They want to always claim like there's only three rules. And it's like, yeah, but what about yeah. this, that, that? Then why do you rip me off every time I say right. I gave my friend a high five that's not in the group or something? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, they always say like, you know, that we don't have any rules, but yes, you do. Yes, yeah, you it's do. An, it's an incredibly narrow pathway to walk down the rules that they surround you with, right? Yes, yes, for sure. I think as far as the B and the bite model goes, we have yeah. checked the boxes. <laughs> yeah. Deep um, stuff. So yeah, so the next time we do this, we'll do information control. 
Um, that one's going to get fun. That one's going to get really fun. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff on there. Um, but yeah, but thank you so much, Mike, for being here and doing this with me. Yeah, and I, I'm, fun. I'm, I'm sorry that you're probably going to have to go back into therapy after, uh, <laughs> after this episode, because I can't tell you how many people have told me that, like, I listened to your podcast and called my therapist the next day and realized I had a whole lot more to talk about. Yeah. And I, you well, know, I still am too. I can stay positive. I'm not too worried about it. They can all fucking kiss my ass. That's all, you know? Yeah. Just... I mean, for sure. For sure. And you know what? I legitimately hope they close down. And if anyone has a problem with that, here I am. You should go away. Yeah. Like, I oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the goal for this podcast and, and the movement is shut them the fuck down. They don't by... have any, they don't, they don't deserve the honor of helping another human being the way that Mm-mm. they promise. Mm-mm. It's a it's no. a real it's a real tragedy and travesty yeah. that that what they're doing to people. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah, the only thing that I've seen recently is a picture of a kid with a swastika. Yeah. That was involved with it. I'm just like Cornerstone. you know that the staff members were laughing their ass off at that. Yep. You know that you know they're like dude you can't be that guy but <laughs> and yeah. like, you know I mean I can just see it now. They they Oh yeah. They, they encouraged it without encouraging it. And oh yeah. White supremacy yeah. is rampant, rampant in these programs. We could do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's, that's all just to say, like, I know it's not any better than it was, even though it's been over a decade since yeah. I've been involved, but it's not any years, better. It's not any better. And it's worse. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the problem. Um, so imagine. yeah. So thank you everybody who was here tonight. We had a couple of people, uh, and chat, y'all are awesome for sticking around and listening to us talk about uh, just insane shit. Um, coming up, I am going to have, um, I'm currently scheduling with the woman who was my therapist who helped me unpack all of this. And she is phenomenal. She's going to come on the podcast. Uh, she also works with adolescents. She's going to talk about what like actual healthy adolescent treatment looks like. Um, I've got, uh, I think, four people now uh, from the Hyde School who are going to be coming on in the next few weeks. Um, I've got my friend Cindy that I talked to last night who's going to come on. Um, So we've got a lot of really fun stuff uh, scheduled. I'm going to do at some point a charity stream um, for Lisa Becker's mom. Uh, We managed to raise $10,250 for her. And they hired a caregiver uh, and, and they were telling her like, yeah, we did this GoFundMe. And the caregiver said, well, how much did you raise? And they said $10,000. And she said, I hope that's enough. <laughs> so I went, all right, let's raise 20. Like we raised 10 in four days. Why don't we try to raise 20? So, um, that GoFundMe is still going on. Um, and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to do a charity stream to try to raise some more money for her. Um, I don't know what we're going to do yet. I'm open to suggestions if anybody has any, um, what else is happening? What else? What else? What else? Uh, we our the Redbubble shop is doing really well. This is one of the shirts that you can get at our Redbubble shop. Um, all the proceeds go to back into the podcast uh, just to help, you know, keep the podcast alive and going. And um, and then we're also starting a fund for survivors, for people who need help getting out, because a lot of times, especially the staff, they don't get paid enough to be able to leave. Um, so they need, you know, they need help if they want to get out and, uh, people who want to get therapy who maybe can't afford it. So, um, that's where, you know, any of those proceeds go to, you can also just directly donate through our Venmo 
which is in the uh, our Instagram account on the MS. If you go there, there's a link tree. It's uh, link tree forward slash on the MS pod that will have links to all of that. Um, so yeah, so we've just got some really fun, cool stuff going on over the next couple months. The website is almost done. I'm super excited about that. Um, it'll be up soon. And you can see in the background here, see these these hearts that look like my shirt. These are magnets. They're Believe Survivors magnets that I have up. So you can get really anything you want made at the Redbubble store. You can get magnets, phone cases, mouse pads, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I'll probably be uploading some more designs as well, too, because I'm, I'm doing some thermometers. Meat thermometers. Yes, absolutely. Um, they have, uh, uh, what's the funniest thing I saw? Well, they have masks that have the, this oh, that's cool. on them, which is great. Um, and they have, uh, shower curtains. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Here I know. Yeah. It's so, it's so fun. All the stuff you can do on there. So, so yeah. So, um, again, thank you everybody for being here, Mike. Thank you. Especially you are amazing and wonderful. And I love having you on and talking to you. Uh, thank you. Um, it's always it's always good to get it off the chest, and uh, I think you know as much as I haven't wanted to talk about it, I think it's important to share it. So yeah, hopefully it helps somebody, right? Yeah, it is. It is important to talk about, and you know, if any of you know anyone who might have been in um, any kind of course of control group, you know, um, I, I do a lot with the anti MLM community, multi level marketing. Uh, they are super culty, and they all fit in the bite model as well. Um, if you've got someone in your life who's, you know, involved in these things and you're concerned about them, this is one way to help them um, start to see it. Um, and Mike, you I actually forgot to point this out when you were talking about your mom. Mm-hmm. This is great for parents. And I'm going to send I'm going to be able to send parents to this uh, recording because your mom, she wasn't being super negative and like pushing you away, but she was being supportive and giving you like giving you some ideas of like, I support whatever you want to do, but you might want to think about, you know, if you ever do want a job where you get paid more than, you know, poverty wages, you know what I mean? Like, it just sounds like your mom did a really good job of like, like presenting you with other options, but letting you know at the same time, like she loved and supported you. So you didn't feel like it was a push pull yeah, kind you know of what situation. she told me afterwards? She's like, she's like, you were never going to be able to afford a wife if you kept working there. Like, she's, like, I want, she's like, I want grandbabies. So I gave her, so I gave her three of them. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's just, it's such a good example because we do, you know, a lot of parents are like, we, I mean, I have parents reach out to me all the time. They're like, my kid's in the group and I don't know what to do. Like, I can't get them out. Um, yeah. And, and th- that's basically what I tell them is like, you need to continue to support them and then just pro- gently provide them with evidence as as you can, as yeah. you get openings for that. But it's scary. It's scary for parents to realize, like, my kid's in a cult, and I can't get yeah. them out. <laughs> you know, it's scary. Well, and especially, so. too, like, it gets weird, like, like if your kid's really in, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're telling them no, like, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they may peace on you for the sake of the group. They really might just go, like, you're a horrible mother. I can't believe you want me to get away from this. When really you're not, you're just actually trying to push them out of something harmful, but they think they're in something good. I mean, it can be, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I hope that I don't have to be a part of that ever, but uh, that, that sounds absolutely horrifying. Yeah. I mean, we saw people do that. We saw people stop talking to their parents yeah. because of the, because their parents were not right. 100% on board. I mean, I would with, say most staff had like some family that they weren't allowed to be with, yeah. you know what I mean? Or talk yeah. to. 
mm-hmm. or they had some opinion of, you know, that it was like, I was yeah. like, I was like, how does everyone in the world have problems with their siblings that they can't like be a part of their lives? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm just lucky with like a pretty cool family or something, but it seemed like everyone at, on staff was convinced of some familiar person. Yeah. That they couldn't be a part of their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, they isolate you from yeah, your family. That's, yeah. that's a part of it. Um, okay guys, thank you so much for being here. Take care of uh-huh. yourselves, take your meds, wear your masks, get a vaccine, all the good stuff. <laughs> and we will see you later. Bye. Mm-hmm.